Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the many things you bless us with and now the awesome opportunity to get back into your word. Help us now as we study it to understand it and apply it in the right way, draw closer to you, build our faith and trust in you and your word. So pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series, we begin this study here in the book of Revelation. Some people call it Revelations because it is actually multiple things that are being revealed, but it is the revelation given to the Apostle John by Jesus Christ when he was given this revelation on the, book, on the Isle of Patmos when he was in exile. And in my notes here in the back of my Bible on Revelation, it says, of all the New Testament writings, Revelation is the most difficult to interpret. And it truly is. There are many new Christians that decide they want to get into the book of Revelation. And they start reading and they get totally overwhelmed and confused. There are a lot of different opinions on the interpretation of the book of Revelation. And we will not have full understanding of the book of Revelation until the Lord wants us to have it. The closer we get to the fulfillment of the prophecies, the more he reveals to people what that prophecy is. And there are many things in the book of Revelation that no one is going to understand until the it's being fulfilled during the tribulation time. There'll be revelation understanding given to people that they will not have prior to the tribulation. So we got to understand that when we get into the book of Revelation, there's going to be some things that we just scratch our heads like, what does that mean? And we do not know. And the Lord hasn't revealed it to anyone. As it continues here in these notes, scholars differ about the exact meaning of some of the most important passages in the book. See, the scholars don't even agree on it. But its basic purpose remains clear, to reveal Jesus Christ as Lord, triumphant over evil. Written by the aged disciple John while a prisoner on the island of Patmos around A.D. 95, Revelation has been a source of comfort and inspiration to Christians of every generation. The comfort that we find in the book of Revelation isn't the verses about the horrible judgments coming upon the planet during a tribulation time. The comfort comes when we look at the last few verses, excuse me, last few chapters concerning our new heaven and our new earth and all of our wondrous blessings that He's going to give us for eternity. That's what we get comfort in. And of course the instructions and the enlightenment of letting us know when we see the things being prepared, that the end times are very close, imminent, because of the things that are given to us in the book of Revelation. And of course, you can go back in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and find other prophecies. And of course, even in Matthew 24 and 25 and in Luke and so forth, many prophecies concerning the last days, things that were given to the disciples in the early Apostles, that they had no idea, even those that wrote it down and what they were writing down. They didn't know, how could this be? But now we see things in the world, the systems in the world, the technologies in the world of how these things could be fulfilled, how they could be enacted. 
But let's get right into the book of Revelation and we'll go verse to verse and see what the Lord reveals to us at this time. So, Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto the servant John. One thing I want to point out here where it says must shortly come to pass. Now I've done a study on the word shortly. There are a number of words that are in Greek that are translated and translated into the word shortly or quickly. And we might automatically think that this means in a very short time or coming very soon. But that's not how it's applied here. If you go back, like I say, and look at the Greek and find the word, especially this particular one here that's used in this verse, it's a lot of different meanings to that word, that Greek word. And it's a preposition, actually. But if you go back and look at that, it means it's imminent. It means it is going to happen. It means it is going to happen suddenly. It is determined that it will happen. And it doesn't mean it's going to happen Soon, because this was given to John almost 2,000 years ago. So it wasn't to come to be very short in his time span, but it, when it occurs, it is going to be sudden and it is going to be surely come. As it continues, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and, that, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Note here on the seven spirits. The spirit there in the translation that I have here is capitalized. And when you see the words spirit capitalized, it's speaking of the Holy Ghost. And this is speaking of the power of the Holy Ghost and the attributes of the Holy Ghost. Seven here is talking about the various attributes of the Holy Ghost. And many have thought, well, this means seven individual spirits that are going to be in service of the Lord throughout the tribulation time. And we'll be on that even. But then others say, no, this is actually speaking of the Holy Ghost. So there again, that's... Up to you to determine which one it is, because it can work out just fine either way you want to think of it, as it continues. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Note verse 6 where it says, And hath made us kings and priests. That will be very important when we get through near the end of the book of Revelation when it speaks of the new heaven and new earth and the kingdoms 
of the earth that will come into New Jerusalem by way of the 12 gates. The kingdoms will have a hierarchy established because it says kings and priests. So there will be given positions to those that have earned it to have those positions for eternity as kings and priests. So there'll be different levels of responsibility given to people for eternity. It isn't that just everybody's on break and it's a lovely time like taking recess at school. No, this, the eternity is, there's so much in here that we'll find. It's so complicated and most people have just a vague understanding of what eternity is going to be like. As we further study, you'll see what I'm talking about. Verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Verse 7 is talking about his glorious appearing at the end of the tribulation time. Because when he comes back and stays in the clouds and raptures us up, all the earth will not see him. Only the born-again Christians will see him and rise up to be with him. So at this point, he indicates also that they will not appreciate seeing him. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Why would they be wailing? It's, it's, they're moaning and groaning and wailing because they know, okay, now judgment. And that will be revealed at the end of the tribulation time. And in verse 8, it starts out in red letters there, which is the, the words of the Lord. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Now, of course, you that know the Greek alphabet, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. It's, it's like saying, I am A and Z, beginning and end, is what he's saying. And he clarifies it there, the beginning and the ending. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Note, Jesus Christ being recognized as the Almighty. There are many religions out there that recognize Jesus Christ as a wonderful person, as a prophet, as a holy man, as a teacher, but not as Almighty not as the one who has all power, not as God. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Acknowledging Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost of Trinity, but also acknowledging Jesus Christ having all power given to him teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I love those verses there. Recognizing that all that power has been given to Jesus Christ, all that authority has been given to Jesus Christ, which gives Him the authority to allow someone to be 
washed in his blood when they ask him. And gives him the authority to allow others that choose not to ask him for forgiveness to go right into hell for eternity. Into the lake of fire for eternity. Verse 9. I, John, the Apostle John that is, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. For the word and for the testimony, he was arrested and instead of killed like the rest of the apostles that they got a hold of, he was actually set in exile. He was an old man by this time. And they put him on a prison island, basically, the Isle of Patmos. And he's stayed there. He says, I was in the Spirit. Notice Spirit, capitalized. Under the influence of the full revelation and communion of the Holy Ghost. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. The seven churches he's speaking of here, as it continues. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst, seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. He calls Jesus Christ the Son of Man here because Jesus Christ acknowledged himself as Son of Man to John when he was in his earthly ministry here when he was with John, walking with John for some three and a half years or so, and he identifies him here as Son of Man. It looked like Jesus Christ is what he's saying. Clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now the golden girdle is like a fancy belt. They would wear that tunic, and they would gather together in the waist with a fancy garment, which was twisted kind of like a a rope, and that would be tied around, and the golden was given to the the high priest and so forth, recognizing the deity of Jesus Christ and the authority. Because the common man did not wear the girdle. We have references to Elijah and Elisha having one of these fancy girdles, and that's what he's speaking of there. Verse 14, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Now the white hair is signifying many, many years, something that is eternal. It's signifying his deity, and it's signifying his purity. The beautiful white hair signifying the the purity. And then where it says his eyes were as a flame of fire. The fire 
is the potential for the judgment. It is the rage that is possibly there. It is the power that is there. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now, a couple of these I want to bring out is the seven stars. The seven stars are going to be the angels. Well, he'll explain some of this, but it's the seven angels. And then the two-edged sword is referred to in other places in Revelation. It's the word of Jesus Christ. His speaking has that ability to cut asunder, to the power and the sharpness of his word is what it's speaking of. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. He kind of glowed. When John experienced this the first time, it was at the Mount of Transfiguration. When he was there in the presence of Jesus Christ, when he was transformed in that image. So here he's seeing that again. Verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. He earned those. He has those. and He has authority and power to use those. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Seven different churches. And the angels. Now there's different beliefs on these angels. Were these literal angels that were designated to be overseers of the church is one of the beliefs. Other beliefs are that these were titles given to the pastors of these seven churches. But when he calls them stars, he refers to the angels as stars. He doesn't refer, refer to pastors or shepherds or bishops as stars. So you would lean more toward that these were actual angels. Now we know the Lord tells us about how that the children have guardian angels over them. So it's also believed that maybe that's what he's talking about here, that each church that he's speaking to right here had designated guardian angels overseeing them and delivering to them a message, giving them directly what they need to know from the Lord concerning this book of Revelation. 
that there's actually letters that John will write and deliver to the churches by way of these angels. Now, whether he handed them directly to a human pastor of those seven churches, sent them by messenger to those seven churches, or that the angels appeared to him and he was able to give them those documents and they took them physically and presented them to those churches. So there's different beliefs concerning that. But the main thing is that we know that they were delivered, that they were written and they have strong meaning and they were delivered. And it is awesome to think that he was still using angels in that way at this time and that he sent them personally, those seven angels, to go maybe like Gabriel or Michael or some of the other angels that are unnamed that we know in the New Testament that appeared like the angels that were at the tomb when John himself was able to see the open and empty tomb and see the angels that were there. Were the angels like that? Or were they identifying simply as the pastors? Because the word angel, many times we see it interpreted here, is meaning a messenger. So they were messengers of God. Were they messengers that were celestial beings? Or they were messengers that were appointed by God to deliver a message? Either way you take it, it still has the same meaning that they were delivered, they were given to John, and they were delivered to the seven churches. Now, let's look at another thing here, back where he names these churches in verse 11. They are churches which are in Asia, and resent to Ephesus, and Smyrna, and to Pergamos, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, these various churches were also identified as church ages. These were physical churches located in Asia. And they had these various issues that he gets into in chapter 2 and 3 that they had to deal with. And we can also apply the things that were going on in history all the way through to the last church that he mentions is the church of Laodicea and how that they are compared to time periods and attitudes as well. Now, many say that we are in the church age of the Laodiceans, but we got to also identify it as a physical church that existed at the time. Because if you just take it as being time periods, you would tend to ignore the early churches that he mentioned, the other six, and just think about the church of Laodicea, because that's what many scholars say we are currently under the time period of the church of Laodicea. And they are the ones that are rebellious. And if you just focused on that, then you would miss out on the others and the lessons of the others. But the right way to look at it is that all of these can apply currently. All these church ages, if that's what it's about, can still be applied today. Because there are things that he mentions that they are doing, the things they are doing right, and the things they are doing wrong that apply to us today. So don't divide it up into just church ages. 
we know that right now we are definitely under a time of rebellion. So that's how it compares to Laodicea. But it was also a specific church, physical existed church. So we can learn from all of this. That's one of the things I want to caution before we get into studying the various letters to the the different churches is that there are things that are going on in all of them that go on periodically throughout all history. This has been going on back and forth different times. So don't narrow your focus and just think, okay, I just got to worry about Laodicea because that's the time period wonder. No, don't fall into that trap and then you'll narrow your study and you'll narrow your understanding of the message that he's given us through all of the letters. It's very important that we always look at that. Look at the whole message. All right, let's get right on into it then. We'll start right here in chapter 2 and looking at these letters. Now, chapter 2 and chapter 3 and are all in red letters in your red letter edition Bibles, which is the words that were delivered to John from Jesus Christ himself. Chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. Note, he knows our works. He knows everything. He sees everything. And thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Notice he starts out here, with the compliment, with the things they're doing right. And then, in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Thy first love. Our first love is loving Jesus Christ and focusing on His will, loving God with all of our existence. That's our first love. When they get off track and they get so involved in their works that their works become their love rather than God. They love what they have achieved. The recognition for what they have achieved instead of loving God. That's a dangerous trap that people can get into. When they start getting the accolades for doing a godly work, and then that work becomes their love rather than loving the Lord, they love the results of the work that they are doing, and they have left their first love. Verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Removing the candlestick. That means ending that church. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He ended it with a little bit of a compliment there. It's like, 
okay, we do recognize that you have some attributes. Keep doing the good works. Go back to what you really should be focused on, that is doing the total and complete will of the Lord, putting Him first and utmost in your life. And not to worship and praise and yourself or your accomplishments. Verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. At the end of each one of these letters, he finishes it with a statement similar to this. Different things will be given to them. But it isn't just to that church. There's another point like I brought out earlier. You apply all this in general. So the overcomers, as it says under each one of them, at the end of each one of the letters, the overcomers, he that overcometh, I give this, I give that, I give so forth, is coming to all those that are, all those are going to be coming to all the overcomers. And an overcomer is someone who has overcome sin by trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and becoming a born-again Christian. That is who an overcomer is. So that applies to them. All right, let's go ahead and close here and we'll get back into it next time. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for your word. It's so awesome. It's so powerful. Help us to understand it. Help us to have that hunger to dig deep in there and find that message you want us to have. And encourage us to go out and share it with others as well. And we really look forward to all the fulfilling things that you have laid out for us to understand as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.